My name is Melinda. I'm not Gordon. You can already tell that. I'm a lot shorter. Um, I will share a secret with you while I'm getting ready and you're getting ready. My husband will attest to this. I do not pack light. Never have, never will when we go on trips. And as you can see, I don't teach light either. I bring a lot of things with me. My husband, John, will always tease me that uh, I'm going to wear the zippers out on our suitcases, unzipping and redoing and everything else, trying to pack everything. But when we go on trips, who do they ask? Did you bring this? Did you bring that? Well, of course I did, because I overpacked. <laughs> so there. Good morning, and I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Pastor Gordon asked me a few weeks ago if I would stand in for him today, and of course, we all love to serve our pastor. So I said yes. So thank you for being here. We have to turn to God's word to learn what he has to teach us today. Now, Ella read from Matthew, the end of Matthew, and the series is called Matthew and Friends. So we're going to go to one of Matthew's friends today. You heard an overview of what we're going to learn from today from the book of Matthew. One thing that I want to point out from that passage of scripture is that Jesus had four half-brothers and at least two half-sisters. Mary and Joseph had children together after Jesus came along. And we've lived in Liberia, and this is the way they say it there. They had the same ma, but different pa. Okay? Okay, we got it. Good. So let's turn in Luke chapter 4, please. It's the same incident that happened in the scriptures, but Luke gives us a lot more detail. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Luke was a doctor, and he investigated what happened in the life of Jesus. And he wrote thoroughly. He documented. I truly believe he was also a melancholy. He liked a lot of details when he wrote. So we're going to start with Luke, verse 14, and go down through verse 30 today. Gordon is a fabulous preacher. He's really good. Would you agree with me? He's very blessed and very anointed. We all have spiritual gifts. We're going to get to that a little bit later. My gift is teaching. So I come to you this morning as a teacher. And I hope that as we go through this scripture, verse by verse, God will come and teach all of us something that he wants us to learn today. So we're going to start with verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus came in the power of the Spirit. Remember when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him? Y'all remember that? He comes in the power of the Spirit to teach and to preach and share the good news. And everybody was talking about him throughout the region. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. He taught like one with authority. He was doing miracles. He was getting very, very popular with the people. People were talking about him while they ate dinner. Did you hear what Jesus said? This is what I heard, he said. They weren't talking about whose goat ran away that day or how the crops were doing. 
They talked about Jesus. People wanted to be with him. They wanted to hear him and see him personally. He was getting very popular with the people. Now, one thing we need to know about this passage is, in verses 14 and 15 that we both, we just read, Luke is summarizing one year of Jesus' ministry. He's covering one year in those two verses. See, when we read scripture, we think one thing follows another. And sometimes it does, but most of the time it does not. There's gaps of time between those things. It would be like somebody writing the story of your life. And for those of us that are like older, (laughs) it would be a really thick book if they wrote about every day of our life, correct? Well, it's the same thing here. God chose what he wanted to be recorded. And sometimes there's gaps of days, weeks, months, or even years. So Luke, very wisely, led by the Spirit, just summarizes the whole year in two verses. And during that time, Jesus fed people, large groups of people. He did a lot of miracles. He preached in synagogues. He preached on hillsides. He did many things in that whole year. That brings us now to this point where we are in Scripture. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he was usually, he was, he went to the usual synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the Scripture. He went home. He went to Nazareth. He went home. The place that he grew up. Remember when God sent Mary and Joseph, when Jesus was small, to flee to Egypt after his birth because of Herod the Great was trying to kill him? And then he said, eventually, after some time had passed, it's okay to come back to Judea. And Joseph chose Nazareth. They went back to their hometown. Jesus grew up there. He grew up from a child. Now, remember, he had a a human body. Then he became an adolescent. He probably had acne, right? He had a human body. Went through all the feelings and emotions that a teenager had. Then he grew into a young man. He was back home again, his hometown crowd, so to speak. And when Jesus came to synagogues to teach, some people praised him, and others got upset See, when you open the Word of God, the uncompromising, clear message of the Word of God, sometimes people get upset by what they hear, just like they did this day in Nazareth. So on this particular Sabbath, Jesus is back home in his hometown synagogue, his home church, among his people. And they've asked him to come read the Scripture. This is the only time in the Bible that Jesus, we know that Jesus read scripture in the synagogue. It's not recorded anywhere else. We know that he taught and preached in synagogues, but this time he read. And he was handed the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Jesus chose what he was going to read from that day. He got to pick his scripture. And as I pondered this, I got overwhelmed again by the mystery of the Trinity. 
the Father, Son, and the Spirit? Because here's Jesus, the Word of God, the living Word of God, right? Reading the Word of God. So, yes, he spoke with authority. He wrote. He spoke. These were his words with the mystery of the Trinity. He knew what he was going to say, and he knew the words were already there. And what did he read? He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is saying, I have come in the power of the Spirit to do what God has told me to do. I'm qualified to do so because I come in the power of the Spirit. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God anointed and appointed Jesus. Right? He appointed him and anointed him to do what he wanted him to do, his mission. And he says, I come to bring good news to the poor. Now, Pastor Gordon covered this thoroughly when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to move on to the next part. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Jesus is saying, I am the only one that has the power to release people from sins, to to forgive them of their sin. You see, he's talking about captivity to sin. We are all in bondage to sin before we knew Jesus. He came to set us free. That the blind will see, he says next. He's talking about physical blindness, which he healed many that were blind while he was here. But he's more talking about spiritual blindness. Before we knew Jesus, we were all spiritually blind. Sometimes we would hear lessons, maybe go to church before we knew Jesus and heard someone teach or preach, and we just didn't get it, right? It's like, this just doesn't make sense to me. It's because... Our eyes weren't open yet by Jesus. And when we come to him, he opens our spiritual eyes so we can have spiritual understanding. And we can grow more and more in wisdom and knowledge with him. That's what he's saying there. And that the oppressed will be set free. Now, oppressed means the same thing as bruised. And I like details, so I went to dictionary.com, and I looked up the synonyms for these words, and here they are. Crushed, shattered, broken down, mistreated in life. I don't know if anybody feels like that this morning, but there's good news for you if you do. If you feel overlooked or distressed or anxious, exhausted, ready to quit, life's been hard lately, well, Jesus says that the oppressed will be set free. He wants to release you from that. He wants to take the ashes that have accumulated up in your life, and he wants to replace them with beauty and joy and peace. And you may not believe it right now, but come talk to me. I've lived it. He will give you beauty for ashes. He keeps his promise that the oppressed will be set free. You can have joy and peace. And then he announces that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Wow. 
Wow. What he's telling his hometown crowd. Remember, this is a famous young man now from their hometown of Nazareth. And he's come home. And he's here. And we have big expectations for him. But Jesus is telling them, I am the Messiah. He has fulfilled the birth announcement by the angels. Goodwill to all men. The time of the Lord's favor has come. The jubilee trumpet has sounded, people. I like what Matthew Henry says about this verse. Oh, Well, I'm going to, oh, there it is. Let me explain this. This which Isaiah wrote by way of prophecy, I have now read to you by way of history. He's saying this prophecy that the Jews had waited for centuries to be fulfilled was now fulfilled in him. It's no longer a prophecy waiting to be fulfilled. It is now, you can check it off. It's done. I have come. I am the Messiah. Now, I want you to imagine with me that you're sitting in that synagogue back then. And Jesus is there. You were on the edge of your seat. Everything was still. And you were waiting to hear what he had to say. And then he announces, he reads Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he says he's the Messiah. Wow. How do you think they felt? Well, we're going to find out here in just a moment because Scripture tells us. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. He was getting ready to teach. What Jesus had just announced was his sermon. Could you imagine if Pastor Gordon stood up here and read like four verses and said, that's my sermon, and he was done, right? That's all he did. That was his sermon, but now he's going to teach them what it means. First of all, everybody was looking at him intently. They're excited to hear what he has to say next. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. These people didn't know how blessed they were because he just announced to them he was the Messiah. Jesus didn't share that information with a lot of people when he walked this earth. But he chose his hometown crowd, the ones that watched him grow up, to share it with all of them that day. Now, how did they react? How would you react if someone that grew up in CLC came back at age 30 and announced that he was the Messiah? Put yourself in their shoes. How would you react? Hmm, something to think about. Well, let's see. Everything started out pretty good. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. You hear the noise in the synagogue now? People are like, wow, our hometown boy is the Messiah. Do you hear what he's saying? He talks like one with authority. This is just amazing. But then there you start hearing some other voices that criticize Jesus. Hmm, what do they say? How can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? 
Uh-oh. Here comes, everybody's got a critic in the crowd, right? There's always one. One naysayer. This is Joseph's kid. I remember when he was a boy. He grew up here. We watched him grow up. He played with our kids. I've been going to this synagogue before he was born, and now he comes to tell me he's the Messiah? I got more wisdom than he does. And by the way, how did he get all his wisdom? How did he get all this knowledge? He didn't go away to rabbi school. How did he get it all? This is a carpenter's son. How can he be so smart and wise? Speak with such boldness. Come on, you can believe that, right? People would say that. Now the room's getting louder. There's a lot of muttering and a lot of murmuring going on. You see, they remember Jesus the way he was. They don't realize who he is now. It's like he's frozen in time when he was growing up there. But they cannot reconcile that with the person they see now, this teacher of great wisdom announcing that he is the Messiah. Ah. But you know, there was another problem with what Jesus just said. He didn't announce to them that he was the Messiah they were expecting. You see, they wanted a Messiah that would come and make Israel the number one nation in power across the world, like it was when King David was there. That's the Messiah they wanted. They wanted somebody to take away Roman rule, set them free from that. But this isn't what Jesus explained to them. He had a different mission than what they expected. He told them, basically, in these verses, that he came for all people. He came to be a light and a blessing to all people. And they had a problem with the word all. In those days, there were just Jews and Gentiles. And if Jesus came for all people, that would include Gentiles. And to the Jews, the Gentiles were the scum of the earth. They were just dogs to be kicked around. They had a problem with this in that synagogue that day. Some of them thought about walking out after he said this. We know somebody did. They were very upset by what he just said. He's preaching about God's love for all people, even God's love for their enemies. So what does Jesus do? He knows what they're thinking. He knows he hears part of what they're saying. And he says to them, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. He's saying what he's telling them is, you would expect a physician to be able to heal himself, heal his family, and heal his village. They expected him to do more for them, like they were the privileged people because they were from his hometown. They expected him to do more miracles and more healings for them than he did for any other village. They wanted to put up a sign outside of Nazareth. You know the way we put up signs outside our cities and say, home of so-and-so? Right? Somebody famous? Well, they wanted to put a sign out front of Nazareth saying, Home of Jesus, the Messiah. 
They expected a lot from him that day. But, but Jesus knew their demands, and he knew why they were demanding signs and miracles. So what does he do? He turns to God's word to correct the wrong thinking. And church, that's what we need to do. When someone tells us, this is what scripture says, and this is what you're supposed to do, you need to go back and check it out. This is truth. Right? This is truth. This is not an opinion. When God speaks, he's not giving you his opinion. He's giving you his truth. So go back and double check against God's word, everything. Make sure it's truth. So Jesus does that. He brings up two of their most famous Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha. I got it right. (laughs) That one's hard. Do not name twins those two names. That's really hard to do. So now, he brings them up to them, and he tells them, Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years, it did not rain for three and a half years. It did not rain for a couple weeks in June, and our ground was already cracking. Can you imagine no rain for three and a half years? We can't, can we? Because he says a severe famine devastated the land. Absolutely, it did. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. Them means Jewish people. Elijah wasn't sent to the Jews. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. And then he goes on. And many in Israel had leprosy at the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. And Jesus adds insult to injury because Naaman was not only a Gentile, he was an enemy of Israel. Well, the room's starting to get louder now. Yes, Elijah and Elisha were sent to to Jewish people, but God also sent them to Gentiles. He was showing, even back then, his love for all people. God loves all people. There's no categories of people in God's eyes. And that's what he's telling them. Jesus is going right to the root of their problem. Their demands that they wanted from him indicated they had a heart problem. And he was trying to tell them, your hearts are hardened because you hate Gentiles. Hatred has hardened your hearts. You need to repent and turn to God. God loves all people even your enemies. Even your enemies. He gave them a choice that day. Jesus always gives us a choice. Always. You can accept him. You can accept what he says to do. You can accept the worship of him, following him, and then obeying him. Or... Like in this day, and like in our day, it's still the same for us. We have two choices. Or we can reject him, keep following our own selfish ways, and ignore what he says. Jesus always gives us a choice every day to follow him or not. He never pushes himself on anybody. 
He is the good shepherd of our souls, and he gives us a choice to follow him. So how did the people respond? They tried to murder him. He goes from praise to precipice in a very short time. Going down to verse 28. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were upset. A little bit frustrated. No, no, no. What's it say? It says, furious. Have you ever been in a place where you saw mob mentality? Or have you ever seen it? This became a mob that day. Their anger and their hatred spilled out. They were furious, jumping up. They mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. This was another form of stoning in those days. They would push a person over a cliff. Their legs would usually break so they couldn't run away, and then they would throw the large stones down on them and kill them. That's what they were going to do to Jesus because he told them something they didn't like. Hmm. Instead of ending church with a blessing, they ended it with attempted murder. Nothing like a murder after church, right? Yeah. Can you picture this in your mind? See, it's really important for us to put ourselves, if when we can, into the scripture, into that moment. Into that moment. You see the crowd grabbing Jesus and pushing him closer and closer to the cliff, and he didn't resist. He could have called down fire from heaven and ended all the madness right then and there. There would have been no more Nazareth. But he didn't. He could have demanded a trial where he could explain himself a little better. And by the law, he really could have. But he didn't. Hmm. He could have begged for his life. But he didn't. And why didn't he? Well, he knew who he was. He knew his identity. He knew that. He knew his purpose in life. He knew his mission, what God had sent him to do. He knew he was there to please God and not people. And finally, he knew it wasn't his time to die. So what does Jesus do to handle this situation? He passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Wow, do you see the irony in that last statement? The people wanted a miracle. They asked him for a miracle. They almost demanded a miracle. And he gives them one while they're trying to kill him. He just walked away. Now, we don't know what miracle he did that day. We can guess, but we really won't know until heaven. Maybe he blinded the crowd and just walked past them. Maybe he caused a spirit of confusion to come on them. You know, they get to the edge and they go, wait, where's Jesus? I thought you had him. You had him by the arm. Where's he at? And they're just bickering because he's gone, right? We don't know. We're just guessing. We'll know in heaven someday. 
But he just walks away from them, and he leaves Nazareth. And sadly, Nazareth lived up to that, their reputation that day because they did not have a good name among the area. Remember when Nathaniel, when Jesus was calling the disciples and Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? Because Jesus was from Nazareth. Well, the only thing good that day was Jesus. And ironically, he proved to them that everything he had said was true. He proved that he was the Messiah to them. But he walked away because they tried to kill him. They walked, he walked away because he told them to love their enemies, and they just couldn't handle it. Their hearts were too hard. Their hearts were too hard. And he tells us to do the same thing today. We are to love our enemies. We are to love those who ridicule us, abuse us with their words, maybe even try to harm us, or kill us when we want to share Jesus with them. Sounds kind of drastic, doesn't it? But it didn't sound drastic to the early Christians. In the 90 AD period, the emperor was Trajan. He made Christianity illegal. So if you were hauled into court in front of the emperor or the, the governor, you either had to deny Jesus or profess him, and if you denied him, they made you stand there and pray to one of the Roman gods. That was their authenticating that you were not a Christian. But if you stood up and held to the profession of faith, which Paul talks about in Romans, that's what he's talking about. If you said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, and I believe and follow him, you just signed your death sentence. That was it. You didn't have a second chance. And I want to tell you today that we live in a land where we can openly profess Jesus Christ. But there are many places in this world where you cannot. The threat of a death sentence is real in a lot of these countries around us for Christians. There are people serving Jesus in places where they need prayers, us to pray for them for protection because they have to be very wise and discerning who to share Jesus with. They have to be very wise and discerning where they carry a Bible to because if you're found with a Bible, it is a death sentence. We don't remember things like that when we live in this land with so many blessings. We need to really pray for those people. And in some of these countries, if you are found out to be a Christian, you're not the only one that gets the death penalty. Your family does also, because they know your family is probably believers also. They're going to eliminate the threat. We need to be praying for those who are missionaries and just believers living in a country. It's called creative access countries. That's how we mask it when we pray, when the prayer things we get in the mail, so that the name of the country isn't listed, but you can figure out where it's at. And if you want to know where some of them are, come talk to me after the service. Pray for those people, because they live in that 
situation on a daily basis. We just read of a woman in one of those countries who she found out that they were coming to her house, to her friends, and she burnt her Bible in the bathtub so she would not be taken and killed. Proof was gone. It's real. It was real back then. It is still real today, and it will continue to be real. So let me ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you've been around people you haven't seen for a long time? Like, for those of us that are older, a high school reunion. You know, you've, somebody shows up, you haven't seen them for like 20 years. Or a family reunion. You haven't seen this aunt and uncle for 20 years. And you start sharing Jesus with them, and they're like, are you serious? You believe in Jesus? And they start abusing you with your words because, see, they remember you how you were back then. And maybe you weren't a Jesus follower then, and that's okay. Not like Gordo says, it's not a shaming thing, it's a revealing thing, right? And they just cannot reconcile how you are now following Jesus with who you were then. And you hear words that you really didn't want to hear before. You are being criticized and ridiculed, maybe even condemned, maybe they're even going to try to hurt you. I don't know. Some families are different, you know? So, I don't know. But how do you deal with things like that? We're all going to run into it if we haven't yet. How do we deal with things like that? Well, we deal with it the way Jesus did. And that brings us to our next steps. So, what did Jesus do? How did he get through this? He knew who he was. He knew his identity. Do you know your identity in Christ? We have to know who we are in Christ to get through these moments. When people want to judge you or hurt you or ridicule you, you've got to know who you are in Christ. And Christ tells us in his word who we are in him. And when he speaks it, it's truth, right? So we can believe it. So this is you. As a believer in Christ, you are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Gordo said last week that we are covered in Christ's righteousness. It's his righteousness we stand in. But when you come up against abuse, verbal, physical, because you're a believer, people say ugly things to you. And they they do... And after a while, they start getting into your head and into your heart. And they make you feel awful. And maybe you start doubting your, your, your belief in Christ. Maybe you're like, well, maybe Jesus, maybe I'm, am I like that? Do I really look like that? Do I sound like that? I thought I was yours, but maybe I'm not. And you start doubting because... You have an enemy, and he's trying to get you get into your head with these ugly words. That's when you have to know who you are in Christ. You must know this. Who are you? Well, you just sang one of them today. I am a child of God. Put the truth back into you. I am forgiven. I am not condemned. 
I am secure in his love. I am never alone. I am loved by a perfect love. I can never be separated by God's love. I am adopted by my Father. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. He has me. I'm safe and secure. I am a new creation. Oh, when you put the truth back into yourself. All those things that got in here and here, leave. You see, your faith has overcome your feelings. Do not let those things get into your mind when people speak these things to you. You are who Christ says you are, period. People can have opinions. Everybody's got an opinion. They're like noses. Everybody's got one, right? But their opinion doesn't matter. What matters is who Jesus says you are in his truth. Get to know who you are in Christ. Look it up. Remember it. If you've got to write it down on a sheet of paper and carry it with you, then do it. Then do it. You are his beautiful child, and you are loved, and you are secure. And you have so many blessings by being his child. Remember that. Okay? Know who you are in Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing is... Here. Know the purpose God has created you for. We all have a purpose in this life. If God didn't have a reason for you to be here after you accepted his son, then he would take you to heaven on the same day. You'd be gone. But you're all still here, so that tells me you have a reason to be here. You have a mission to do for God. He has you here for a purpose, and you need to find out what that purpose is. You do that by reading his word, by studying his word, by getting to know God and Jesus better and better and better. That's part of it. But that's not all of it. I will tell you, all of us have the same purpose, identical, one thing that's identical. It's right up here on the wall. Will you read it to, with me? Love God, love people, make disciples. That's all our purpose. Jesus said that. It's for all his believers. But you have something unique, uniquely yours, God has given you to do. I don't know what it is. You need to find out. Like I said, keep studying, keep growing. Take the spiritual gifts inventory that's been offered here time and time again. Now, some of you here test when I say inventory. It is not a test. You don't get an A or an F, okay? It's not that kind of test. It's to find out where your strengths are, your spiritual strengths, and sometimes your natural strengths. And back in the dark ages, when I took it, there was a scale from zero to five. Zero meant, I, I can't, I don't, no, this isn't for me. I don't do this, like mechanical skills. Eh, that was a zero, okay? Five means you're really good at this. You feel like this is part of me. And then you find out. It whittles it down for you a little bit where your focus is to be, where God wants you to be, what he wants you to do for him. Because we are all dispensers of God's grace. Will you agree with me? 
We all are to dispense God's grace to a hurting world. We're all to reflect Jesus. We are all to imitate him and give his love to a hurting world. And you have a specific way he wants you to do that. Because if we were all the same, let's say he all, we all were called to serve in nursing homes. Oh, every last one of us. So we'd all be in the same nursing home every day dispensing God's grace. Well, what would happen to the rest of the world if it was like that? God's a God of creativity. He gave you a unique assignment. You just need to find out what it is. And then do it. And tie in the third thing, please God and not people with it. You are, we are to please God and not people. And this is a hard one. Like Pastor says, it's not easy following Jesus. We are to please God and not people. The main idea is be faithful to God no matter what. No matter what. Those are key words. No matter what comes into your life, you have to be faithful to God. It may be a painful decision. It may be an easy decision. It may be people in your life that want you to do something that you know God would not be happy with this. In fact, Christianity is not a set of do's and don'ts. It's a set of doing, God saying, this is what's best for you, so let's go this way. God puts his boundaries around us when we're his kids. And we're to stay in those boundaries. It's like telling your child, don't go outside of the yard because you don't want them in the street because they'll get hurt. Well, it's the same for us because we're God's kids. He's saying, stay in my boundaries. This is where it's the best for you. So if somebody you know wants you to go see an, an R-plus rated movie, and you know that's not in the boundary God has set for you because he doesn't want those images in your head that are in that movie, then you say, I can't. as we heard yesterday at the ladies' breakfast, if you, talk to Natalie Lane if you want more explanation about this. Um, she would tell her friends when that came, she told about this moment. That's not me. She didn't preach at him. She didn't give him all the scriptures. She just said, that's just not me. Did they get upset? Oh, yeah. Did they talk bad about her? Oh, yeah. But she stayed in God's boundaries. I don't care how old you are or how young you are, you are to stay in God's boundaries and please him, not man. Remember that. That's exactly what Jesus did that day. He could have turned around and said, oh, guys, I'm so sorry. I forgive you. Let's go back and try again, or I'll do all the miracles you want. He didn't do any of that. He just went on his way, right? So when these times come to you, these hard times, pleasing God and not man, if you will stand your ground with Jesus in a loving way, this happens. And it's going to take practice. And it's going to hurt a little bit. When you see people walk away from you or talk bad about you because you're not doing what they want you to do, it's going to be tough. 
But if you keep doing that, they will realize who you are and who you follow. And when the hard stuff comes, it won't get into your head. It won't get into your mind, your heart. You'll still be you. It won't get in there. It's going to take time and practice, but it works. You will still have joy because you know you're not alone. You know Jesus is always with you. And you know you're in the place God wants you to be. So every day, church, keep walking with him. One step at a time. Hold his hand tight. Because one day, and I don't know when your day is going to be or mine, but one day you'll find out the last step you took, you are now standing in heaven and seeing Jesus face to face. And when that happens, everything we go through in this broken world will not be so important anymore. It's worth it to follow Jesus is what I'm trying to say. It's not easy, but it is worth it. Because you have an eternity of beautiful living ahead of you when that happens. And yet you will be in the perfect world that we all long for now. But it's coming then. Amen. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for setting the example for us. We are to follow you with all our hearts, Lord. Help us to do that every day. Help us not to stop when the difficult and painful times come. As we follow you and you didn't stop, you just kept doing what you came to do. Help us to honor you today and every day with our words and our lives. We love you so much, but we know you love us more. Thank you, Father, for sending your son to us. In his name, amen. Okay, will you please stand and receive the blessing. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and and a thankful heart. Now, go and be the church. Amen.